now that the Bulls are looking for a new head coach, you should be buying all the Bulls stock that you can. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Please follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, at Slab Stocks, and then click that little red subscribe button down here on YouTube as well. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, today, the eight-game seeding round has ended. We had an exciting one-game play-in round. I'm recording this on a Monday night. I haven't finished all four of the first uh, playoff matchups. Uh, but we're headed into the playoffs, so today we're looking big picture for a number of the teams that are in the playoffs, for some that had been bounced from the bubble, and then for some teams that were never even invited to the bubble. Let's get rolling. Uh, to start things off, uh, just a bunch of head coaching news out of the NBA over the past few days, uh, starting with my guy Jim Boylan, now formerly of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, pretty clear that he was not the future coach of this team over the past couple of seasons. And, and while Karnasovas certainly took his time in making that decision, finally Boylan and his weight room punch clocks were sent packing. You know, on a personal level, always feels kind of weird to be excited at a guy's firing, so I wish him and his family well. I'm sure he's going to find another job in the NBA, but as far as the on-court basketball goes, things are now looking really up for the Chicago Bulls. I've already covered all this ad nauseum over the past you know, half a year or so, but now that the Bulls are looking for a new head coach, you should be buying all the Bulls stock that you can. Now, this is one of those organizations that was just so messy, you know, pretty much ever since Michael Jordan's retirement, really. You know, but Jerry Reinsdorf and company started making some top-down changes this year. Back in April, they fired their general manager of the past 10 seasons. That was Gar Foreman. They also reassigned Vice President of Basketball Operations John Paxson to a new role within the organization. They brought in a well-regarded uh, GM, GM of the Denver Nuggets, Arturis Kornosovis, to serve as their Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations. Now they've moved on from old Jim Boy, obviously. So lots of good moves there. You know, they were in desperate need of full sweeping changes, and I'm glad they finally did it. A lot of names being floated out there as potential replacements. Kenny Atkinson, I've heard. Uh, the Bucks' very highly regarded assistant, Darvin Ham. A Nuggets assistant, Wes Unsell Jr. A few other guys. A lot of really nice names in that list. And honestly, I'm just glad that the organization is looking in one of these directions rather than among some of the coaching retreads that a lot of teams will generally look for in the same situation. Regardless of who's chosen. Can't get much worse than it was, and I generally expect the organization to have a much better direction and vision moving forward. Uh, the three players in particular that I think are gonna, this is all going to pay very big dividends for as far as our investments go. It's really no surprise. Kobe White, the Finn Reaper, Larry Markkinen, and also Wendell Carter Jr. A few other nice young players that are going to benefit as well, but you know, these are the three that I feel more confident in as far as an investment goes, you know, as far as investment returns go. Kobe White wasn't really being restricted at all in, in Boylan's offense last year, which can be good in some ways, but for a young guard, can also be really prohibitive in his overall development. We don't want Kobe White growing into an undiscerning chucker, and I think a new coach is going to help him to learn to rein in his shot selection a little bit and also grow as a playmaker both for himself and for his teammates. None of that really seemed to be going on under the old regime. For the other two players I mentioned, you know, the opposite was really the case in that Boylan's schemes really just were so restrictive on them that they had you know, completely stagnated or started to backslide in their development. We saw Wendell Carter Jr., whose offensive game had really just been handcuffed by Boylan, 
It was pretty well publicized that Boylan prohibited him from taking any mid-range shots, which can be a good thing in a lot of cases, but for you know, Boylan, it was not as a way to encourage him into taking more threes. He only attempted eight field goals per game this season. 6.5 of those attempts came in the paint, and that just really doesn't need to be the case with Carter. He's a young big, brimming with potential, and to shoehorn him into only one zone, it's really just kind of crippled his game. He wasn't a volume three-point shooter in college by any stretch, but he did attempt over one three per game at Duke, and he hit 41% of those. Also, he's a career 76% free throw shooter in the NBA, which is very good for a big man, and that puts him in the top 10 at his position. My guess is he has a quite, bit, quite a bit more offensive versatility to offer. A good coach should be working to bring that out. Additionally, on, Bo on defense, Boylan's schemes always had Carter blitzing out away from the basket. He was out of position to protect the rim or to rebound at a high rate. I think a better conceived system is really just going to help Wendell Carter Jr. on both ends of the court and overall as a player. Now, Laurie Markkinen should benefit from the change for a lot of the same reasons. We talked about this here before, but Boylan, he cut Markkinen's touches per game in half. Over his first two seasons, he averaged 80 touches per game. This year, he only touched the ball 40 times per game. Last year, he took over 15 shots per game. This year, that was down to 11. He was just often you know, left in the corner. There was no offensive imagination for him at all. Uh, but I think that a new coach is going to come in, should be able to utilize his pretty significant offensive potential, and should really inspire Laurie to bigger things. He was just one of those guys that really didn't take any sort of leap at all in his third season. So it would not be a huge surprise if a re-energized and newly motivated Laurie Markkinen takes that leap this year. I didn't include Zach Levine in my list of three guys. And that's just because I personally don't think he's going to be around Chicago very long term. Uh, certainly has pretty prolific scoring acumen. But in my opinion, we've also seen that a team is not going to be very successful most likely with Levine as the offensive fulcrum. As the veteran leader of this Bulls team, that seems to be the role that he would automatically assume, and I think it's probably best in the Bulls' best long-term interest to move on from him, both for the team's success and for the development of these other young players. Additionally, I believe the Bulls are making these moves right now with eyes on the 2021 free agent class, which could feature Giannis, Oladipo, Gobert, Kyle Lowry, Kelly Oubre. Could also feature a bunch of guys that have player options heading into that year, like LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi, Drew Holiday, uh, Will Barton's another. Uh, then there's a you know, bunch of really good young restricted free agents too. Who knows what's going to happen with any of them? I just think that the Bulls are going to be looking to maximize their spending power going into next offseason as you know, potentially a destination where like a superstar tandem to, could join up. Easiest way to do that would be moving on from Levine, who is set to make $19.5 million that year. That really shouldn't be all that difficult to move, in my opinion. I think the Bulls probably do it. Next big coaching change, Alvin Gentry is out as the Pelicans head coach. I mentioned that as a possibility last week. Always cool to be proven correct immediately, basically. Uh, so again, sorry to Alvin Gentry on a personal level, but this team really just needs a kick in the pants right now that they were not getting from him. I regret talking up Lonzo Ball recently because he clearly just looked checked out right from the jump once they got into the bubble. Ingram was fine, but he wasn't going to be taking that team anywhere by himself. Uh, then there's just all sorts of strange stuff. Sorry, my phone's acting up here. There's all sorts of strange stuff going on in the, in the Zion camp. Uh, we you know, really don't know what his health is like. Uh, just tons of question marks. I think it's going to be tough for them as a team moving forward. Uh, Zion's 
pretty clearly, you know, one of the focal points of the entire NBA at the moment. Maybe it was pretty tough staying motivated for a lot of these other guys who've been around longer, played three times as many games this year. But, you know, when they get in the press conferences, everyone just asks all the players just about Zion. No one really seems to care about anyone else on that team. I think that really showed in the team's overall effort level. Uh, so pretty important head coaching decision coming up. They really need someone that can get all of the players to buy in and the range of possibilities on the future of this club. It's pretty wide open at the moment. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see and just let things play out. Here's hoping they get a good coach. Another big move announced recently, the Kings GM, Vladi Divac, he stepped down this past week. Assistant GM Peja Stoyakovic also stepped down, leaving former Pistons exec Joe Dumars leading the front office restructure in pursuit of a new GM. Dumars was the architect of that 2004 Pistons championship team, but he probably had a more memorable uh, reign as a GM because of his blunders, uh, including but not limited to drafting Darko Milicic ahead of Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. He handed out $96 million in 10 years to Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon. A bunch of other head scratchers on top of that. So hopefully the transition period is quick because on a team that has a history of very questionable personnel moves, having a sitting GM with the same reputation seems like a pretty bad idea. Plus, there's just a number of other questions surrounding this team. You know, we have no idea where things stand with Buddy Heald. He was very publicly disgruntled earlier this year, asked to be traded, really did not play very well in the bubble. And, you know, as he starts his new mega deal this coming season, we have no idea what the Kings are going to be doing with them. But things just generally aren't super happy among the various camps in Sacramento. The Kings, player, uh, the Kings prayer is that they, you know, they figure all this stuff out soon. They write the ship very quickly, get a strong voice in there with a clear vision for how to proceed because the worst case scenario is that this organizational overall takes some time. Buddy Heald continues to air his grievances. And then, you know what? Maybe it all kind of starts to trickle down to De'Aaron Fox and he starts asking for a trade too. I hope that doesn't happen. But with the King's history of the, you know, the basketball operations blunders, you just can't rule anything out. Just things to be aware of as you consider your King's basketball card investments. I'm guessing that's mostly De'Aaron Fox at this point, if anything. Uh, but, you know, there's just a number of things to consider with the new GM coming in. Pretty big disappointment that the Suns didn't make the play-in game. I'm not sure that they're going to be making the playoffs, but it would have been nice for them to get at least another game in. I spent a bunch of time last week talking about them and, and why they look pretty good for the future. And then a ton of articles came out over the past week that was all basically saying the same thing. Uh, so we see, you know, just this kind of general excitement jumping up around Phoenix at the moment, which is very cool to see. I really think that they can continue to play well together. Monty Williams just did an awesome young uh, job with this young team. Devin Booker is clearly making a leap. It's going to be really exciting to see what they do next year. Not going to spend any more time on them because I spent so much time on them last week. So if you missed last week's video, go back to last week's video and check it out and you'll see a lot more Suns talk. I think it was in the beginning of that video. Another team that's looked super fun in the bubble. This one is still there. Uh, probably not going to be there very much longer. That was the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, this has been the fun Brooklyn Nets team of last season. Karis LeVert was leading the way with 25 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, a steal and a half while shooting 48% from the field. He is a very good player, and he really showed it in the seeding games. Uh, but the future for him you know, with this particular team, still a bit cloudy. Didn't overlap with Kyrie very much this past year, but in the span of time when they did play together, uh, Lavert averaged only 10 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, shot 32% from the field, 
and that changed basically immediately when Kyrie went down again. Over the rest of the way, Levert went for 24 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal and a half while shooting 46% from the field, so pretty much pretty close to what he's been doing in the NBA bubble. I'm not sure how much of that is going to remain once it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie leading the team. Levert was handed a 30% usage this season, 32% in the month of August, and that's clearly not going to stick next year. I wouldn't be super surprised if we saw him dangled in trade talks this offseason or during next season, especially if their two megastars are calling a lot of the shots. Plus, he's got a super desirable contract, so a really high trade value at the moment. His base prism PSA 10 rookie cards are going for around $350 as of this recording, which is about a 50% increase since the end of July. So, you know, like with a lot of the players, we've been seeing big performances and then big performances in the card market. I don't know how much of that is going to stick going into next season, as he's probably going to be pretty marginalized on offense. But if he's traded, it could all jump right back up in a pretty big way. In a pretty big way, certainly something to monitor. Uh, let's talk a little playoff preview. The Blazers were obviously one of the biggest stories out of the seeding games. They play against the Lakers tomorrow, uh, or tonight, I guess, based on by the time you're watching this. Uh, just thinking big picture. The Blazers are the team that's just the super trendy pick right now. They're as hot as anyone in the bubble. Damian Lillard was the best player over the past eight games. Yusuf Nurkic has been a revelation coming back from injury. On the other side of the court, the Lakers were really quite disappointing. But let's just put things in perspective here. Over the eight seeding games, the Blazers had an offensive rating of 122.5, which is really good, and then defensive rating of 120.4. Just notice no semblance of defense at all. There's a good chance that they really struggle against the Lakers. You know, there's no one on this Blazers team that can match up against either LeBron or AD, and that's going to cause some problems, especially when they haven't been playing any defense anyways. There's just no help for Lillard out there. You know, there's McCollum, but he's been hampered by a bad back. They've had Nurkic back, who's been really good. Gary Trent Jr., who's been really nice and a big surprise, although he's kind of cooled off quite a bit over the past week. And then we have Carmelo and his career renaissance. You know, but none of that just really inspires a ton of playoff confidence. Basically, this Blazers team is really exclusively Damian Lillard at the moment. Of course, there's, there's basically no one on earth playing as well as he is right now. Uh, last week I said I think we could probably pencil Lillard in for 30 and 10 each night moving forward. And then all he went and did was 51, 61, and 42. Dude's just on another planet right now. He's confident, and in a league where a lot of guys have a lot of things on their minds outside of winning, this dude really only cares about winning. Against the Clippers, he had that 22-point performance, missed a couple free throws late, and we had Patrick Beverly and Paul George with their you know, ridiculous on-court and sideline antics, plus then everything that happened post-game. Usually, NBA players just kind of play dumb and say, oh, I didn't see it. Uh, kind of hard to play that off in the bubble where there's just no other distractions at all, so props to Lillard coming right out firing against those guys in the postgame. He rightly diagnosed that both of those dudes were only so over the top about it because he had personally sent them both packing before and it hurt them. Well, then they came out and they were chirping him in the IG comments. He chirped back. He told Paul George, keep switching teams, running from the grind. And that's one of the reasons why I just love Damian Lillard, which also might be one of the reasons why his cards have historically underperformed. But one of the things I love about him, what makes him so awesome, is that this is his eighth year in the league. There's been never even a rumor of him wanting to leave Portland. That just doesn't even happen anymore. Even with the big markets, players often leave. But especially with a market like Portland, where a guy stays, and even when he's perennially carrying the entire team on his back, he continues to stay. He wants to win, and he wants to win in Portland. I love Lillard for that. 
I think the national love has really been kind of growing for him, particularly this season, but I think that's going to just continue right on into next season. Uh, looking at the big picture of these playoffs, though, if I had to guess, I'd say the Blazers' deficiencies probably prove too much against this Lakers team. The Lakers certainly have a number of dents in the armor and are by no means a juggernaut, but I think they're just going to be too much for Lillard alone. I believe the Lakers will probably move on fairly early in this series. But even if that does happen, back to Lillard, it's still a great time to be an investor for him. In the 2020 calendar year, he averaged 33 points, 5 rebounds, 9 assists, a steal, shot 48% from the field, and 44% from deep on 11 three-point attempts per game. Uh, he's been just about the best player in basketball over that time. He's really just made another leap this year. He's always been an extremely special player, but there's just something going on right now with, with the maturation of his game combined with like this unparalleled confidence and then the scoring ability. I think we're looking at a really special two to three year window for Lillard. You know, also relatively rare card to own. Only 531 base PSA 10 rookies, only 28 silver PSA 10s. The rarity combined with what should be at least another couple of years in which he's regularly scoring in, scoring in the 30s and 40s and 50s, I think the market is primed to continue rising for quite some time with him. Uh, Jazz Nuggets was the first game up today. Super fun game. Nuggets came away with the win in overtime, but Donovan Mitchell was the star. He was just unconscious out there for the Jazz. Ended with 57 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Basically, every time down the court was the Donovan Mitchell show, and no one was complaining. The statistic was going around that he is the youngest player to score 50 in a playoff game since Michael Jordan's 63 in 1986 against the Celtics. And... The only playoff performances better than Mitchell's today were that Jordan game that I just mentioned and then Elgin Baylor way back in 1962 when he had 61 points. So incredible historical performance for Mitchell here today. And if the Jazz are going to beat the Nuggets, they're going to need Mitchell to just keep shooting like this. Mitchell's stock is rapidly shooting up, and rightly so. At the start of his game, of the game, his PSA 10 base prism rookie cards were going for around $450. By the end of the game, they were selling for $500. Nice 11% raise just over a couple hours of game time. And they were flying to 24 of those exact cards went on Buy It Now's during e on eBay during the game. Uh, he's still only 23 years old, so just you know a ton to like about him moving forward, and people are actively investing in him at the moment. On the other side of the court, Jamal Murray really stepped up. 36 points, 5 rebounds, 9 assists. He was held out and uh, played lower minutes during the first 8 games of the restart. So to see him play 40 minutes tonight in an overtime game and play as well as he did, just really good to see. There was a 5-minute stretch there in the 4th quarter where he was looking the best player on the court, even better than Mitchell. He was creating his own shot. He was stepping confidently into them. He was stepping up as the game kept going back and forth with the Jazz regularly having a narrow lead. And that was all just super fun to watch. I talked a few months ago during my draft recap series that it was a, a, a bit of a disappointing year for Murray. He didn't really have that leap at all as you know, basically repeated last year's performance at risk of overreacting to one game. Maybe he takes the next step in these playoffs? You know, playoff basketball is a huge learning experience for young players. And at only 23 years old, Murray certainly still has a ton of room to grow. Pretty rare also. 227 PSA 10 base prison rookie cards. 128 PSA 10 Silver Prism Rookie Cards. Surprisingly, his base uh, PSA 10 Rookie Cards are selling for $550 during the game. One even went for $700. I have no idea if the person actually paid. I don't like comparing players just like this, but just looking at Murray's prices, Donovan Mitchell's market looks like it has some room for pretty rapid growth. 
I think the Mitchell, the future for Mitchell is quite a bit brighter than Murray. So you know, maybe there's a small window here where you could buy Mitchell. But I guess the market you know does all the determining on these players' prices. So I could be totally wrong about all this. Uh, but Murray, as for him, he's looking super confident out there. And I am looking forward to seeing what else he can do over the next couple of weeks. His teammate, Michael Porter Jr., my guy, uh, did not look very good. Started out pretty hot, and then he cooled off down the stretch. His defense down the stretch against the Jazz was becoming a liability, and since his shots weren't falling either, he was just benched. Uh, let's not overreact to this either. Here's, you know, he's one of the guys that was one of the best scorers in the restart. He's super confident. He's smooth from everywhere on the court. He's a guy that clearly grew up watching Kevin Durant play, studying him on film, likely spent hours mimicking him in the driveway. That's just the type of offensive game that he has. I expect a pretty big bounce back from Porter next game. The Nuggets are just going to need him to keep scoring in outrageous amounts if they're going to keep on winning because they don't play any defense at all. Uh, so Porter's going to need to carry a ton of the scoring punch, and I think he can. His PSA 10 base prism rookie cards are selling in the $450 range. I think that's a good price, even if you just want to buy today and then flip in a couple weeks. But it's especially probably a good price as we consider the long-term potential for Michael Porter Jr. over the next couple of seasons. If I had to guess, I'd say that the Nuggets are probably moving on. Uh, but let's expect a ton of high-scoring performances out of these two teams. The matchup is pretty much primed for that type of play. I just got to watch only the first quarter of the Mavericks-Clippers game. I uh, want to get back and finish that. I hope the storyline doesn't change by the end of the game, or else this is all going to be really embarrassing by the time it comes out tomorrow. But Luka Doncic was just crazy. It's always just so bizarre to watch this guy who, like, based on like physics, should not be able to score when he's going against Pat Bev and Playoff P and Kawhi. Uh, but regardless of how he looks, regardless of the relative lack of athleticism, regardless of, of all that stuff, the guy is just a, such a skilled scorer. You know, the only one that's really like him in the league is James Harden, but Luka is, like, you know, like, actually likable. Uh, the Clippers, during this game, they're up 10-0 within about a minute of gameplay. They're up 16 at one point. Luka crashes to the floor, goes to the locker room, comes back, ankle wrapped, scores 11 points, three assists. They head into the second quarter with the lead. I know that's how NBA basketball goes a lot of the time, but with Luka, it just hits a little bit different. Since he's been so prevalent in our minds for two years now, it just kind of feels like he's been around a lot longer than he has been. It's only his second year. This is his first playoff game. He is not backing down against the best defensive backcourt in the league. Gotta love that. Again, Luka is you know, just the guy for now and in the future. You can't buy too much of him. PSA 10 base prism is going for $1,500. PSA 10 prism silver rookies, $8,500. PSA 10 second year prism around $1,000. Bunch of really expensive cards, which you know probably puts them out of most of our price ranges. But if you can get your hands on a first or second year prism, optic, select, you gotta do it. Very safe investment. All right, that is all the time I have for tonight. Lots of fun coming up for us with the playoffs starting. A uh, lot to look forward to, a lot to watch. Uh, we're gonna have a ton more to talk about next week. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you then.